0: This is the Humanity First podcast, Bamsy's look at what's going on inside and outside the organization and the important areas that uh, are focused upon by BAMSI, As We're joined, as always, by CEO Peter Evers. Peter, how are you? Chris, hi. How are you doing? Good. I am Chris Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us. And on the podcast today, we're going to focus on essential workers. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how essential workers deserve to be paid more. And that these types of positions are integral to our society, to our community, but we haven't really seen the action follow that talk. And, you know, concern of mine, and I'm sure yours is as well, that, you know, once we, if we ever drift past the COVID-19 environment, that um, everything is just going to stay the same, and there's not going to be that wage increase for essential workers. And these positions in which individuals work on a day-in, day-out basis, side-by-side, hand-by-hand in some circumstances, um, to help those who need it most in our society, that the wage disparity and issues will not be affected. So how, in your view, do we go about keeping this conversation going, and how is an environment get created at BAMSI where um, wages can increase for these essential workers? Well thank you for raising this
1: issue Chris of course it's the most it's the thing that uh, is most on my mind at the moment as we move into the new phase of covid i would say because i You know, I've been here for about six months now, um, and it was week number one that we went into lockdown. So all I know really about BAMSI uh, working here is the efforts that people have made to keep our residential homes running for six months under really, really difficult circumstances. And so in that sense, um, I'd like to say I was proud of the workforce, but, uh, you know, I'm new and, and I am very proud to work here. Um, but uh, I obviously had little to do with the with the enormous lift that the uh, direct care workers have uh, put in over the past six months. But I would also say, to your point, and way before that, too, there is no doubt that we have, um, as, a, as a society, as an a uh, uh, culture, under-recognized um, the efforts of those people who do the real work, the people who make folks comfortable, the, people who watch out for vulnerable populations. It's the essence of what we do at BAMSI and our direct care workers are um, the real heartbeat of the organization. I think in many ways, the rates that we get from um, from our government, uh, from our state, do not reflect the heroic efforts of, of folks on a day-to-day basis. We have been able to recognize in terms of bonuses, etc., over the past six months, but we should be able to do much more. And your question is a good one, and it gets to the heart of this. The question is, how do you do that? There's not one answer to this, Chris. The answer remains in a number of different activities that we need to engage in at BAMSI. And one of the answers to that is why we're sitting here today. I I believe that BAMSI, for 45 years, has been an agency doing remarkable work. It hasn't always been that known, though. You know, know, one of the questions I asked was, for a company that has – uh, around about a hundred million worth dollars worth of business every year. How come our community don't know what Bamsi does? Part of that is the stigma that exists that we care for vulnerable populations, and in some ways, there's institutional stigma that uh, that is uh, attached to that. So, how do we how do we blow our own trumpet a little bit more? How do we get people to understand the importance of the work that we do? And how do we have a campaign that lifts up and, and really celebrates those direct care um, folks, which I think we can talk about in a little while? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, how do, we f- how do we raise funds? You know, somebody said to me the other day, you can sit around and, and complain about um, rates that you're going to get from the state, but they're not going to change. Uh, they're not going to change significantly because there's a budget, and especially in these times in COVID. So we need to we need to create other lines of revenue from uh, fundraising, from uh, getting donors interested in, in in Bamsi, getting people to volunteer for for Bamsi, and people who volunteer like to give. So lots of strategies, and I guess the last one would be the advocacy strategy. Our workers need to have a say. Um, in government, um, and you know, having worked in New Hampshire for a few years before I came here, I learned the power of advocacy. Uh, it's it's right out there in New Hampshire, maybe not so much in Massachusetts, but we have to mobilize and we have to get down to the state house, and we have to we have to capitalize on the goodwill that we've had over the last six months from. Those residential workers, those people are working in hospitals, those people in groceries, those people who worked, who were essential. Now, let's put some money behind that word essential so that we can really pay a fair wage, not a living wage. I'm not, I'm not shooting for a living wage. I'm shooting for a fair wage. And a fair wage should be measured in the quality and the importance of the work that we do. And that's what's
0: happening here. And that's what we have to get. I think you're right to acknowledge that this needs to be a multifaceted effort. And our focus today in this conversation on the podcast is going to be on the public policy piece and talking with uh, Michelle Dubois, who uh, is a uh, state representative of the Massachusetts House of Representatives uh, serving the Plymouth District, the 10th Plymouth District, which is uh, East Bridgewater, the east side of Brockton and uh, Precinct 1 of uh, East Bridgewater. And we're going to talk about that public policy piece. But as you're referencing, even if there is some achievement from that perspective, the achievement is going to be minimal in terms of wage increase. And there needs to be that additional element that you're talking about where it can't just be, oh, well, you know, we are only getting this much from um, from the government, so therefore we can only increase wages this much. And I think that important uh, piece of fundraising and um calling on individuals to do something about this where, yes, we can increase the wages of essential workers, but um, we're going to need some help to do it and to have, um, and what you're describing is the, what we're focusing on with the I Am Essential campaign, which highlights the work of many uh, of the uh, workers at BAMSI who have worked and continue to work during very difficult circumstances, is that, um, yeah, there is an important fundraising piece to that. And uh, in order for wages to increase, um, you have to get creative about it. And the philosophy of just sitting back and saying, "Well, it is what it is," nothing happens in Washington. Um, the rates aren't going to raise too much uh, from the legislator um, in uh, the state house in Massachusetts. So therefore, this is what it is. Um, I think that yeah, it does have to be a multifaceted approach.
1: Yeah, and I think the other piece that I left out, Chris, is that we have to explore other lines of business. Um, You know, we do what we do really, really well. You know, we care for 300 or so people who have um, significant disabilities. Uh, and have done a remarkable job of keeping those people safe for the last six months. We run a great clinic uh, for counseling uh, in behavioral health, and we run some fantastic uh, community-based services for people with mental illness and substance use disorder. All of those things are vital and invaluable, but they don't bring in a great deal of revenue for reinvestment. So I believe that we should be looking at other opportunities that perhaps do pay a little bit more so that we can supplement the uh, the vital work that we're doing that doesn't Every business does that, right? They have a line of business uh, that makes a lot of money and they maybe have lost leaders as well which we continue to do because we know it's essential and nobody else in the community wants to do it. But if you begin to see it like that, maybe you have a pharmacy. A pharmacy, nobody will be surprised by this, but a pharmacy is actually quite a good business proposition for somebody who is capable of getting a license and going through, jumping through all those hoops uh, with the state and federal government. Is that something that we can do? Can we look at selling um, our services online in the way that some of these startup companies do with um, you know, selling um, counseling by the hour. Again, another, another business line that we'll look at. I think the new BAMSI in some ways is all about looking a little bit beyond what we've done so well and developing new lines of business in, in different locations, perhaps. And joining us now is Representative Michelle Dubois, uh, a stalwart of the uh, citizens of Brockton for uh, the last few years and just want to welcome you onto the show today, uh, Representative, and thank you for being on, and thank you for all the support that you've given to the employees and the people served at BAMSI uh, over the years. I'm new to this organization. I started about six months ago, uh, and so really the only thing I've known over the last six months about BAMSI is, is their response to the pandemic and, uh, and the COVID crisis, and I couldn't be more proud to be associated with a group of um, frontline directs service workers who have just been the ultimate heroes in this and that goes for not only those folks but the the grocery employees and the food uh, the people working in supermarkets that are healthcare workers it's just been a remarkable show of resilience strength and compassion and uh, I know that's something that you care deeply about yes it
2: is well um, welcome to BAMP and welcome to the you know the Brockton service area so that's wonderful um, are you
1: from the area, Peter? Uh, no, I'm not actually from the area, but um, I have. Uh, de- my dedication to Brockton goes 30 years back. I was an in-home therapist um, in Brockton in 1992, and then I worked for the state uh, for the for Department of Mental Health in Brockton for a few years as well. So not unfamiliar with the community. And obviously, I, I love Brockton. It's a place that, um, that is the heart and soul of America, in my opinion, and just in terms of the people uh, that work there and live there. It's just a, a truly wonderful place.
2: Well, I'm happy to be here today on your podcast with you and Chris, and happy to talk about um, essential workers and the COVID crisis and anything else you'd like to
1: discuss? Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that we've been talking about at the agency is, um, and, and, and it's any human service agency, really. Uh, I think, you know, for years and years, um, direct care folks have been underfunded um, and state contracts have always been sort of near the near the knuckle, if you like. And so it's been difficult to pay, pay people. I don't want to say a living wage. I want to begin to change the conversation to a fair wage, a wage that actually reflects the, the, the amazing work that people are doing. So the big conversations that we're having is what are the pathways that we should be taking to take advantage of the goodwill, I think, that people have had over the past um, six months or so uh, with these folks who have literally kept people alive uh, and, and enhanced their lives during a period of time when we've lost so many people. Uh, and so one of those is legislative. You know, What can we do With our uh, with our allies and our um, and our colleagues in the legislature to 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 push uh, contracts that are actually fair uh, and they get people paid um, a a a, you know a a living wage. Right. Well, um, I I I
2: was a big supporter of the five for fifteen, and I'm glad that we're going to be phasing in a higher minimum wage. Um, just as general uh, discussion, and I'm always for the worker um, to make a a living wage so they don't have to be dependent on society um, and needs and safety net programs, though I'm glad that those are there. Um, As far as COVID, you know, um, there are a few bills for essential worker hazard pay. There are bills to um, make a presumption for if an essential worker gets COVID as far as um, um, compensation, um, the um, long-term insurance, paid worker insurance compensation. Um, And I support both of those things. And, you know, I've been looking into this more and more, and it really, and it's going to sound like a cop out, but it really comes down to we can use potentially, like Vermont did, um, a system where... We can use some of the CARES Act money that would really be driven by the governor or potentially a bill. I think it would really have to come from the governor, as it did in Vermont. Um, or I'm really hopeful that this is going to be a federal um, passage of essential worker salary um, increases that are on a scales model. Um, but at the local level, um, at the state level, I support allocating funds for that. Um, I support work organizations and um, companies that choose to do that on their own. Um, I'm opening. Uh, I op- I'm open to discussion about other ideas, but as far as um, a real solution, I really feel like the cleanest way for that to happen is through the federal government. I mean, this is a real critical federal nationwide emergency, and we really need to see some leadership there um, at the federal level. Are you, uh, are you two gentlemen? Um, are you both um, thinking that potentially the federal level solution is the best one, or do you think um, that the state level? There are three different bills around emergency worker compensation. Um, do you think that would be a better route? What do you? What are your thoughts?
1: you know i think uh it's such a good question um and i think i think it's a it's got to be a combination of a, of different things and and i think yes the federal the federal money um is going to be it has been i will say this it's been really helpful you know the response um, although I don't think necessarily the White House was that interested in it, but the, I think the way that the Senate and the, and the House came together and and got the CARES Act money through, that saved so many businesses, and it's really helped BAMSI. So I don't want to, you know, I really want to go on the record and saying that, that, that the response from this country, although it's not perfect, but there has been a financial injection of cash, which I think has been good. I think, you know, and it with the old expression like anyone can get through a crisis it 's the running the, the humdrum everyday business that 's difficult um, and i think um, I think that's where you get to local level and one of the questions that I would have for you and and you know this better than anyone, what is the appetite of the House and the Senate and the governor to you know respond to this clarion cry for uh, fair? for living wages for the people who have brought us through this, so that that sort of catapults that um, justice into the future in terms of people post-COVID will be able to say, we really, we took the the COVID crisis and we made a real effect on what we could pay people for this invaluable work. I'm just wondering what you think the appetite is in this new political climate. Well, I think that
2: there is a... People are going to be much more open with what their appetite is once we really understand what the federal government is doing and once the the House and the Senate are both back at work making decisions up at the federal level about what they're going to do with the HEROES bill and so many of the other um, COVID-related funding bills. And it really does seem like a cop-out, and I'm sure to the essential worker at home, um, in some ways they're feeling in relationship to me what I'm feeling in relationship to uh, Congress. Um, because so much of our funding comes through um, the federal government. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a real awkward time right now, and there wasn't a lot of um, leadership before they went on summer break around that at the House level. I think that um, once the House realizes that the federal government isn't going to save us, hopefully that's going to be right after they get back in session. If they don't, or I, I'm really praying that they will with um, pass these bills that are pending up there that will send billions and billions of dollars into states to do just this type of work, um, and so it's this waiting game, and it's everything about COVID is um, opposite of what one would normally um, think, like, you know, you want to beat something, it's proactive, you have to get out there, you have to face it, you have to challenge it, you have to be in contact with it, and COVID is just so opposite of that. And that is in a natural in, in, impulse to, yeah. to, to behave that way. And so um, I, I think at the House there is a great concern about what we're going to do for essential workers, especially since on the Democratic side, so I'm a Democrat, I'm a, I'm a liberal, I'm a progressive. Um, on the Democratic side, I believe that there is uh, a support of social safety nets and essential worker increasing pays for ins- essential worker is seen as kind of like a sa- social safety net because. In my opinion, the right is utilizing this imbalance where the House and the Congress came through with this expanded unemployment package that um, is great for people that are on it so they don't fall into poverty. And we've passed these um, you know, anti-foreclosure, anti-eviction uh, laws locally at the state level to protect people, even though it really doesn't take care of their debt it just takes care of the fact that they won't be you know in the gutter in the yeah. street somewhere digging a hole next to a river to live like some terrible russian sad melodrama of of, of history um and so we've passed these uh, very needed social safety nets to protect people in the short term without dealing with the debt that i think everybody is hopeful that the federal government um who can print money i know it's crisis again not very normal thought that you think we need to start you know helping people with their debt during um, a normal time but during COVID it's essentially very different and so I think this is that there is quite an appetite to help essential workers and I think the issue at the house level and I can't speak for the senate and I can't 100% speak for the house I can speak for myself and conversations I've had is that we want to do something but if we do something and act and then the federal government comes through, I think that there is enough pushback um, to keep people from doing that. Um, and so that opens the opportunity for folks on the right to kind of start discontent between essential workers who a lot of them are not making over $25 an hour. Mm-hmm. and um, and people that have been laid off who are getting, you know, we're getting extra 600 and now we're going to be getting an extra 300 until the federal government kicks in to say, like, to stir division, and I really hate that, but I think some of the timing has actually been around that type of politics, and that the average person at home doesn't really want to hear it because they are working, you know, 40, 60 hours, not getting any extra pay, and there should be someone for them to blame and to hold accountable um, and this delay is, is causing a lot of problem in our workforce. So um, if there's a lot of politics involved which I'm sure you guys are, are fully aware and I'm really hopeful that once this um, once the Congress gets back in, in doing its job that within the next few weeks we're gonna know something um, or we're not and um, then I'm going to start pressing for a state response and I have been pressing to pass the bills locally that will ensure essential workers additional pay. But it is, it is a hard call when you don't know exactly where you're going to get the funding. And if the federal government isn't going to get come through, then we can actually sit back and say, okay, the federal government isn't going to come through. We're not going to be able to allocate this much extra money to education like we've promised. We're going to have to reallocate it to essential workers or to so many other areas if the federal government doesn't come through and have that conversation. But, uh, you know, nobody wants to have that conversation right now because we're really hoping that within the next few weeks we're going to get some good leadership out of the federal government that's going to um, allow us to have a better understanding of where we're going to be sitting for the next six months. And, it's, you know, it's a very critical and very strange time right now, um, and that is my best answer right now. And if you want to ask me more questions, I might be able to flesh it out more, but um, it's not really um, the perfect answer.
0: That is uh, Representative Michelle Dubois joining us here on Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with uh, Peter Evers. And I think you, you spoke uh, very well to the indelicate balance um, between, you know, st- uh, federal and, and local power that's uh, really existed throughout uh, the co- the course of COVID-19. And, um, you know, there's been a, a waiting period for local and state officials uh, from the, the federal government to try to determine what to do, because that's, you know, where the money is. And... Um, I think that there's also obviously a challenge in that um, outside of that, Ca- the CARES Act uh, compromise agreement, there has really been not much of anything that um, the House and Senate can agree upon. So as you're referencing, you're waiting, but you don't know if it's actually going to come. There was an anticipation that um, there was going to be a compromise agreement with the HEROES Act, which passed uh, the Congress um, and uh, it has a $3 trillion price tag. Uh, And a Senate uh, proposal, which has actually not even been voted upon um, by the U.S. Senate, which is obviously Republican-led, with the U.S. House being Democratic-led. So... Yeah, I think that the time for, for action may be coming from state government, but there's also a concern about their fiscal health moving forward as well. So it's a very challenging circumstance and one that has, you know, we get into a political and, and philosophical and historical uh, discussion in regards to this, but one that has been borne by the fact that the money and the uh, the power very much sits with the uh, the federal government and local control has shifted to a large degree. Uh, to um, the federal government. But I want to switch gears a little bit um, and, and talk about uh, something else in that, you know, you look at an organization like BAMSI or others, which has a number of vacancies for essential workers. And you look at the unemployment rate for Massachusetts and for Plymouth County, and there's a lot of individuals that are in the need of work. And you know, to me, I think a great way to... Um, to pay essential workers would be something similar to what took place uh, with um, the six hundred dollar a month payment for individuals who were unemployed. Whether it's for new essential workers or individuals that are going into um, a entity that is categorized as having essential work, um, providing a, a bonus uh, for those individuals and to try to create a crossover because it seems like those two things the um, the the jobs that need to be filled and the unemployment aspect of things are kind of sitting in two different silos right
2: and i think that part of that is is a consequence of this unprecedented situation we're in um because so bamzy has openings, we're telling people to stay home because um COVID is highly um aerosol transmitted and we want them to stay away from people so if someone has lost their job somewhere um, because of COVID, um, there's a, either A, there's a reason that the person is, has left employment because of COVID. Maybe they have kids or health conditions or um, of those sorts of things. B, their job is no longer open because it wasn't deemed essential. So do they have the skills to transfer to your um, openings? And then it seems like sometimes... People are still focusing on the economy like you and I could go to a restaurant and sit down in a crowded room of 50 people and eat dinner and not even worry about the air particles that are coming through the air. Like, this is a crisis time. It's it's unparalleled. No one that has walked this earth has, has experienced anything like this until right now. And so... Um, it's almost like the federal government's role, and if the federal government abdicates, which we'll know within a month, and then I'll say it's the state's role, um, the federal government's role is to step up and to bankroll this issue um, to have people stay home that can stay home um, i don't I don't really I don't find appetizing the idea of making the pay so high that Someone who um, is a critically fit, like someone that is a very um, susceptible to COVID is then motivated to go out and get a job because that's what the 600 unemployment was set to stop, where if you got laid off and you're a very poor person, I grew up in a very poor family, I understand this mentality, and you get laid off and you have to get unemployment pay of $200 a week and you have five kids to support, you're going to do your second or third under the table job. You're going to continue to do that because you need to have to do that, which is why, um, you know, to her awesome credit, Nancy Pelosi thought this was so important that she included that extra $600. And I'm sure she thought that they would have renegotiated something by now. Um, But that's what that was for. So the idea like the essential worker in my mind should be getting extra money because I don't want them picking up second jobs. I want them to also be able to live um, in a manner that has them only out in public in these compromising situations to the minimum amount so like if we're thinking about the economy like a normal time well in a normal time it's important to save save save
0: rack up the good bond
2: rating um, get our interest rates as low as possible um and just work on that and work on that and we work on that for crisis times like we're in right now so the federal government um, and if they abdicate, the bonding rate for the state is very low. We have to start significantly, seriously thinking about uh, bonding out, you know, things that we never would have thought of bonding out in the past yeah. in the hopes that this vaccine is going to come through in a year and a half and we'll be able to um, get, get work back together. Like, I think that if only we had the Life Science Center on the, on the Crystal's parking lot, Up and running and open, we would have trained so many of our CNAs to be able to take some higher level um, positions that you have open. So, I mean, I I, I don't know if you can incent... I don't think we should be incentivizing people to um, hurt their health. I just think, you know, for me... it's almost like we're in emergency mode until we get a vaccine. Yeah. And then I mean, we can start talking about getting the economy humming again.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I like the way that you set this, uh, the two different things up. We are in crisis and we need to prepare for not being in crisis. But I've really enjoyed, we both enjoyed um talking um today and hopefully we'll be able to co- continue this conversation and maybe we can get back together when we know with a little bit more certainty what responsibility the federal government's going to take here and then and then we can really next p- month. yeah great. yeah and then we can think about what our plans are collectively to make sure that this moment in time isn't lost to the justice of uh, of uh, fair pay so thank you so much i've really enjoyed this conversation and uh hopefully we can do it again soon Have a nice weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much. I am Chris Ryan for Peter Evers. You've been listening to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast.